Lessons from Elijah, Chuck Swindoll in his writing said this, God's leading is often surprising. So he says, don't analyze God's leading in your life. If God leads you to Zarephath, don't try to make sense of it. Just go. He says, the longer I live, the more I believe that God's leading is often humanly, listen to this, illogical. Would you agree with that? I do. I think it's very illogical sometimes. It is a mystery, at least from our limited perspective. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look here in the passage at 1 Kings 17, and we're going to consider Elijah as he listens to what God is saying to him, and we're going to walk with him and follow him as God directs his life and see that God can take care of us in any place he will ever take us. First, we would get excited to think that God is saying, hey, I want you to go and speak before the king. I want you to go meet a king. How many of you have ever seen or met a president or a governor? Lift your hand if you have. Those are pretty epic moments whenever you get to meet somebody that really is known by a lot of people, maybe nationally, maybe globally. And you're just kind of like, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing how that person has reached that kind of pinnacle. What do you say when you get into the presence of someone like that? What do, you, what do you do when you come into the presence of someone who is maybe known around the world? Do you, do you think of what you're going to say ahead of time and then you get into that moment and then you lose your focus and you can't quite remember what you wanted to say and so you're standing there and you kind of fumble through your words, you're not sure what you're going to say? Do you remember what you're going to say and say, I've got this epic opportunity, now I am going to say it, I'm going to speak truth to power, I'm going to go ahead and say whatever it is. How do you approach that kind of moment? Elijah was sent to the king. What do you say when you get into the presence? Well, he wasn't going to say, hey, nice job, glad, you, glad you're in the office, great things are going on here. He wasn't going to be saying that. So that was uh, interesting already. He was going to actually be carrying, because he's a prophet, a word from God to the king. If you're going to be carrying a word from God to the king, you would hope you're going to be able to tell the king he's going to live forever. You hope you'd be able to tell the king that God's going to bless him wildly. You hope you're going to be able to say some things that are going to really be next level blessings to the king or to the governor or to whoever it is you're speaking to. But here in this moment, he does not have that kind of message to give. The message God has given to him is this. I want you to tell them that it will not rain and it will not have any kind of dew fall for the next several years. Actually, for the next three years, you're not going to get any of that. They're just coming out of the dry season. That's six months. So for the next, really, for three and a half years combined, we're not going to get any rain. We're not going to get any dew. Now, if you're Ahab and you're sitting there on your throne and you're listening to this guy tell you this, you're kind of scratching your head and saying, well, do I believe this guy or not? I know this guy has a position and a title, but I also have a position and a title. As a matter of fact, my position and title is much more pompous it's much bigger. It's much more important than him. He doesn't know how people like us run and operate and work. And sometimes what you can do is you can begin to believe your title is bigger than it is if you're not careful. You're able to puff yourself beyond your title. Have you ever done that? We've all thought a little more of ourselves than we should, right? And you just kind of somehow just kind of allow yourself to think no one can tell me anything. You've had those moments. I remember not long after Pam and I were married, my brother sidled up to me and said, I want to talk to you a minute. And he talked to me about some of my conversation, how I was interacting with my wife. He said, you need to be a little more sensitive than you are. 
I know you can't imagine that. <laughs> but he told me that. I had a moment to either go Ahab. You know what Ahab did? He resisted. He rejected. He basically says, you don't know what you're talking about. Thank you very much. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Don't go home and use that line at lunch, as inviting as it is. It's so good. Don't use it. <laughs> I have. It doesn't work well. Don't use that. When I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. He kind of has that attitude. Isn't it something whenever God speaks a word to us and takes time to send somebody who actually is following God closely, who actually does have our best interests in mind, maybe a pastor or somebody like that. I remember preaching over in Bethlehem. I was doing my best just starting out and I was giving it all I had. And we were early on in, in our ministry, first church in a Wesleyan church that I was pastoring, didn't grow up in the denomination. So I was coming in and as I was giving my best shot, there was a guy who got upset with me. Can you imagine? that, there was a guy who got upset with me. As a matter of fact, when it came time to vote on pastor, you know what he did? He voted against me. Could you imagine that? He did. <laughs> oh my goodness, he voted against me and later came to me and told me after he joined my staff, he later, Tim Moore, he later told me, he said, Kevin, he said, I hated you because I hated the truth you were teaching and I wasn't living it. That's called conviction, by the way. And a lot of times when God is teaching us something, maybe in a Sunday school and Bible study, one reason I think we don't read the Bible is because it shows us what we need to know. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> and so we go all Ahab and we say, I'm not going to listen to you. We've got things worked out real good here. We don't need you. I asked somebody when I was a young minister, I said, how can you listen to me? You're, you're an older guy. You've got kids my age. How can you listen to me? He said, Kevin, I'm not listening for you. I'm listening for God through you. I thought that was interesting. Oh man, getting a word from the Lord would be an incredible thing, but right here in this time, he's not getting it. And why would, why would Elijah be instructed to give this? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he gives us the understanding. God worked in a different way in the Older Testament than he works now, but what he was saying was, if you're not going to follow me, if you're not going to follow my path, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some things away from you. I'm going to get your attention. And this time he says, I'm going to take the rain away. Well, if you take rain and dew away, what does that do to your, what does that do to your garden? It means you're going to water it. But if you don't have rain and dew to fill the lakes and to fill the garden hose, you're not going to water your garden. You're not going to water your crops. You will have no crop. Your livestock is going to famish. Your children are going to be crying. People are going to be saying, hey, we've got to do something about this. And what would they have to do about it? They had been straying from God. It was a pluralistic view that they had. It says, it's not just the God, but you can have another deity and they'll be just as important as the God. So we have multiple gods. As a matter of fact, you keep reading on in here and you begin to realize they have the, the duel on Mount Carmel, don't they? And it's because they have a, a pluralistic view of God. There is one God and one mediator, the Bible tells us, between God and us, and that is the man Christ Jesus. And we would understand that. And so Elijah faithfully declares what God wants him to do. He doesn't add big attitude to it. We don't read that anyway. He doesn't add a lot of verbiage to that. We don't read that anyway, 
Listen to this. He stayed in his lane when he was in front of the person he was supposed to deliver the message to. He didn't go try to be God. He didn't try to say, and this is my opinion about other things too. He said, I am here to deliver a word to you from God. He delivers his word, not 20 words that will get forgotten, but he delivers the truth that God has in mind for him to deliver. And Ahab bristles, and Ahab doesn't want to get this. But Elijah has done what he was supposed to do. And look at verse 3 of our passage in 1 Kings 17. Notice what he says here. And the Lord told Elijah, I want you to hide now. And why would God want him to hide? One, because it could tick off Ahab that he had come and said anything, right? He's ticked off about this. Here's another reason why this could happen. Because Ahab would go back to him and say, hey, you made it stop raining. We're going to incarcerate you. He would have persecuted him. He'd have done something to him like that. Or he'd have badgered him endlessly, endlessly, endlessly. Make it rain. Make it rain. You're the rainmaker. Make it rain. Make it rain. And so God says, instead of that, I'm going to let Ahab fry in his own grease, think about it himself, Deal with this problem, and here's what's going to happen. You come along and you hide with me. And so we see where God led him next. Lessons from Elijah. God leads us. Look what God led him to do next. God sent him to a quiet place. Elijah was sent to a quiet place. Have you ever been sent to a quiet place off the main grid of everything? You've just kind of gone off to the side, and now here you are kind of marginalizing your life just a little bit. Sometimes we feel this when our kids grow up and they leave home, and we kind of feel like, where's life? What's life? What's this? And we have to reassess our life to figure out. Some of you may have retired recently, and you're trying to figure out, do I really like this? I've talked to a couple of ministers, and they're trying to figure it out to see how life is going to work for them as they have gone into now what I would call a quieter place, a different focus than what they were experiencing before. The Lord was taking Elijah out of the public eye to renew him to renew him because it was very draining to him to go before the king and say what he said. And he needed to be refocused and renewed and he didn't need to live in the afterglow of that moment and write a book about, I was in the presence of the king and here's what I told him. He doesn't have to go do all of that kind of stuff. What he's got to do is live the life that God's calling him to next. And very often we get lost in the moment and we can't live the next moment. And God calls him into the next moment. And God may have some of you in this next moment. The psalmist writes, he leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. And that's exactly what's happening to this guy right here. A few months ago, my father-in-law, Harold Scott, Pam's dad, right after Sunday lunch, passed out in his, in his dining room. And they live in a small town a long way from a, a hospital, and even a main hospital is further than that. And so they took him by ambulance over to a place where the helicopter would come and they life flighted him to a hospital. They could not figure out what was wrong with him. They did all kinds of tests, but he, was, he had passed out. And when we first got the call, it was, he's got a stroke. He has had a stroke, a massive stroke. That was the word we were first hearing. So we were thinking, oh my stars, what do we do? Getting ready, do we travel out? COVID was just ending uh, in its strength at that point of what it had been. And so we're wondering, what do we do? How are we going to do this? And going across states and all this kind of stuff and coming back. What do we want to do? And, uh, and uh, so we decided that we, what we would do is just hold steady and see what the news was. And then he comes back around and at the hospital he gets stronger and they send him home and, and uh, so he's at home and then in a few weeks later he has a similar episode, same routine, goes back to the same hospital. This time Pam flies out, his son flies in and they start doing all kinds of evaluating beyond. They sit down with the doctors and they say, hey, 
what's going on with this? Tell us what's going on, and we're going to go until we find out what in the world's happening. Have you ever had one of those moments where you need to find something out? Well, if you do, you know what I'm talking about. And so they're sitting there asking questions, trying to discover what is going on. And you know what they finally discovered was? He had had a bad case of COVID, did not know it, wasn't diagnosed maybe as clearly as it should have been for his outtake healing, and so he wasn't getting enough proper exercise, oxygen, and diet to be able to gain strength coming out of that. And so now he's in therapy for that, and he's gaining strength from that. He leads me beside still waters. Is God leading you into a place like that? He restores my soul. Elijah builds up his inner strength. He's renewed in his mind. He's renewed in his health. He's renewed in his rest. He's renewed in his sleep. He's eating food. God gets ready to take care of him in a beautiful way because God says, I am going to take care of you. And what he does to take care of him is unusual. He said the ravens are going to come and they're going to deliver, they're going to deliver meat and they're going to deliver bread to you. And you've got the bubbling brook you can drink from. He says, I'm going to take care of you in all of these things. I am going to be with you for the next year. You're going to be set aside. You're not going to be standing in front of a king. You're not going to be doing all kinds of popular things. You're not going to be out there among the limelight for a year. I've got you into this role. And in these moments here, he says, I will stay faithful. I will do what you ask me to do. And God was supplying his need in a very unusual place, in a very unusual way. And if you're in a quiet place today, I want to say to you, our God can supply your need. Philippians 4.19, one of the first verses I memorized. And my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Corrie Ten Boom in the Ravensbrook concentration camp. She said, while I was there, my sister Betsy was growing worse and worse. She said, I was able to smuggle in a Bible, a small Bible, and a bottle of vitamin drops, and it had a little dropper. And she said, what I was doing was helping my sister out by giving her a drop a day. And she said, other people got more sick than my sister. So what I would do is I would, at my sister's insistence, give to them a drop a day of this vitamin mineral stuff. And she said, the thing that amazes me was day after day, when I thought the bottle should have been empty, we would go back and to the dropper one more time, there was another drop and I was able to share. And she said, I held it up to the dim light and the brown bottle, I could not see inside the bottle. She said, God gave us drops until we did not need drops anymore. My God shall supply all your need. But that's Elijah living thousands of years ago. That's Corey Tin Boom back in World War II. That's before a lot of you were born. When I first came here as pastor a number of years ago, I was learning how the church worked and what things you already had in place. And one thing that had just happened and come into place was Pastor Patricio LeBay and his wife Marcella had just joined uh, a Hispanic effort that this church was helping to sponsor downtown in Allentown. And so while that was happening is I was getting acquainted with him. He came over. We had very little staff around. Uh, Mike Everett, our vice chairman at the time, came in and he sat down. Uh, with me and, and Patricio came in and he started talking to us. And one of the things that absolutely caught my attention was when Pastor LeBay said, there are times, and this guy has planted churches around the world. He's like the apostle Paul. He's an amazing guy. But when Patricio was here, you had brought help bring him here. And so he's sitting there in my office and he starts telling us, he said, there were days we did not have food and I had no money. And we said, my goodness, what did you do? He said, well, the thing that I did was, he said, I would pray. 
is a man of prayer and faith. Literally goes around the world. He said, I I would pray. And he said, what would happen is, living down in Allentown, he said, I would go. And he said, and I found there was a certain tree. And every time we were out of something, and every time I needed something, I would pray and specifically tell God we need it. He said, I would go, and there would be a bag of groceries sitting under the tree with what we needed that day. That's powerful stuff. That happened just a few years ago. I want to say this to you. God knows where you are. God knows what you're going through. God knows how to lead you. Don't resist the leading of God. Don't chafe under the leading of God. He's led me through different seasons. Each one has had its own value, its own lessons to teach, its own comforts, and its own challenges, and its own sorrows. But every time, the constant has been God, and the constant should always be our willingness to follow God. And then look at verse 9 of your passage. The scripture says that God says to him, go at once. God is ready for the next chapter. The ravens aren't going to come anymore. They're not going to feed you your food now. You're going to be moving on away from this safe retreat you've had. And he says, I want you to go. And so God sent him to a widow's house. God sent him to a widow's house. And Elijah, when he gets there, realizes this is not just any widow. This is the one Jesus would talk about in Luke's gospel, chapter 4 and verse 26. This is a widow that we find out in verse 9 that God has prepared. We don't know how well she knows God, but we know she knows something about God. She understands the voice of God. She understands that she has preparations that are unusual for the moment, and so she is ready to, to at least listen to or entertain the idea that there is this guy coming to her house. She has a son. She has a young son, and she knows that this other person is coming as a guest to their house. There is nothing perverted. There is nothing polluted. There is nothing offbeat about this. This is God's man living with the integrity of God's word, one of the greatest prophets to ever live, who is coming here. This is one of the people who is talked about in the New Testament on Mount Transfiguration, and this is one of the guys who most likely will be uh, referred to in Revelation when it talks to us about the two prophets. It probably is Elijah among others. And here we are seeing him in this moment coming into this place in what we would know today to be Lebanon. And as he's coming into the area of Lebanon, he finds this Gentile lady who is going to receive him, listen to this, and know that he is there on a mission. And so she is opening up her heart and her life, and God knows he will be safe from Ahab there. And so God sends him just to this place. Let me tell you something. God knows how to align all things for all of his people to according to his will that it may be done. This is why we pray in that pattern prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread and give us all those things. And as Pastor Justin led us through, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is where this is. This widow knew something about the Lord. She knows the will of God, but she does not feel that she can do the will of God. Look at verse 12. I don't have any bread. He's asking her for something to eat. I have only a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. She focuses on the scarcity in the moment. She focuses on that. She said, I've got a little bit of oil. I've got just a little bit of flour. And very often what we do is we begin to take our eyes away from what God is saying to us, what God is prompting us to do or experience, and what amounts to in those moments. We start focusing on our human side, what we can do, and it's never enough alone. 
She expects the worst. Look at what she says. My son and I are going to eat just a little bit, and then we're going to die because there is such a starvation going on around us. She is desperate. Have you ever been desperate? She is fearful. Have you ever been fearful? Notice what Psalm 56 and 3 says. It's in your notes. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Let's read it together. Ready? When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Do it again. You might need it this week. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. God can replace our fears with faith, our faith in Christ. You know, sometimes you, you, you go into a, a morning, maybe, let's say, and you see all the fog around. And if you go into a town or a city somewhere, you know that fog can cover several blocks of that city. And now you're having trouble seeing. It will cover several acres out here in the country. And we might not be able to see very far. There are days, you know, like at our house, we step out on the deck and we can't see down to 248. We can hear the vehicles going on 248, but we can't see 248. Do you know if you, if you condense all of that fog that surrounds several city blocks into moisture, you basically would put it just into a glass, a single glass? Did you know that? But let me tell you this. Very often it is a fog of fear, a fog of desperation, a fog of doubt that begins to fog out God and his promises. And what we end up saying is, I don't know if God's going to be enough. God led me to this, but I don't know if God can lead me through this. I don't know what you're going to do with this. God, where are you now? I don't know. Ah, Been there, done that, right? And it's one of those traumatic moments when we begin to wonder what is going on. But this lady's faith kicks in. Aren't you glad that faith can kick in if you are? Say yes. Oh man, I'm glad when faith can kick in. Now look at verse 15 of our passage here. She went away and did as Elijah told her. He said, I want you to feed me first. He wasn't an ego-centered guy. He wasn't doing something wrong. He was following the promptings of God. And he says to her, I want you to give me something first. Because he knew what was happening. God was at work and a miracle was unfolding. So he said, there's going to be food enough for, for us every day. God is going to take care of us. Isn't it neat to be in the company of somebody with great faith? Have you ever been around somebody with great faith, extraordinary faith? Nobody else saw it, but they did. Nobody else could prophesy or predict it or give a word that it was happening, but they were so well connected, they knew it was going to happen. And their faith became sight, and you stood there and said, oh, my stars. And you got to see what God has done. And you could say with others in the scripture and throughout history, look what the Lord has done. He has done great things. Oh, my stars. It's been fun to be around people like that and to live in that lane is a beautiful thing. And verse 16 says that there was a, the jar of flour. It was not used up during the famine and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word that the Lord had spoken to Elijah because he said, if you by faith will give me my meal, God will take care of you through this famine and you're going to have everything you need. And like Corey Ten Boom going into that little jar with that eyedropper, this lady would go back and look into the flower bin and there was flour. And she'd look into the oil cruise and there was oil. Isn't that absolutely amazing? She had enough for today. And tomorrow she had enough for today. And tomorrow she had enough for today. Every tomorrow had enough for that day. And your tomorrows, God is going to be there to meet you when you're following his will. Can I get a witness in a house somewhere? God turned that lady's misery into a miracle. And I wish he would do that in some of your lives today. Just obey him. Follow him closely. Let's see what God will do. Quit running in fear. Quit believing for the worst. 
Begin to believe what God has in mind for you and open up your heart to his plan and you will be surprised what God can do. Can I get a witness somewhere in this house? Now, isn't it amazing that God sent him, Elijah, first to a king. He's among royalty. He's among the finest. He's among everything that goes with elite. And then God sent him to the quiet. Cricket, cricket, cricket. No headline, no fanfare but God at work within, doing God's will in this moment. You've been sick, spouse dies, retirement, change of life, unemployment, whatever, cricket. Health problems set aside, crickets. Burnout, crickets. And then God led him to, of all places, a Gentile widow home, who was so poor, she probably said poe because she couldn't afford the other O and R on poor. She was poe. She had nothing. She said, I'm going to flat out die after this meal. You talk about the Last Supper, that was. But God. I want to leave you with two questions. If you're ready to receive them, say yes. yes. Oh, say it out loud. Yes. What step of obedience is God calling you to today? I don't know, but you do. You do. Second question, if you're ready to receive it, please say yes. yes. What will you do about it? That quiet that you hear is God. He is settled in this service. He is here. So, Lord, we are your children. We want to walk in the light as you're in the light and have fellowship with you. Whether you're leading us beside still waters or leading us into the green pastures of abundance and the flamboyancy of life, or whether you're setting a table of refinement in the presence of our enemies, Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on you, the shepherd and our ear attuned to your invitation and your instruction that we might be able to know the will of God and that we might choose to do the will of God. Lord, I pray you would help our stubbornness or our arrogance or our indifference and apathy to melt away into obedience to you. Because we really do want your will to be done on this earth. And Lord, right now, it just seems to be so chaotic in so many ways. And so many of us in our own lives, we need your peace. And so we follow the peace. That is you, the Prince of Peace. We give this message to you and pray for your honor and your glory that your will will be done. In Christ's name, amen.